On November 27, 1940, Li Junfan was born in San Francisco. He was born in both the hour and the year of the dragon. At three months old, his parents moved back to Hong Kong. His father was a Cantonese opera star and introduced his son to cinema at a very young age. His first on-screen appearance was as a baby in the film The Golden Gate Girl in 1941. In 1950, at nine years old, he co-starred with his father in the film The Kid. By the time he was 18, he had appeared in over 20 movies. At age 16, Jun Fan was repeatedly getting involved in street fights. His parents, worried that he'd wind up dead, urged him to study martial arts. He met the legendary martial arts master Ip Man, but was rejected for training because of the long-standing rule not to teach foreigners Chinese martial arts. Jun Fan was considered a foreigner because his mother was one-quarter German. Wing Chun master Yip Man took on training Jun Fan. Jun Fan became Yip Man's star student and would go on to win martial arts tournaments throughout Hong Kong. However, this bred an arrogance in Jun Fan that increased his street fights. He beat other teens so severely that he was arrested. The police informed his parents that if Jun Fan got into just one more fight, he would be sent to prison. His parents, fearing that he would go to prison before he turned 20 years old, sent him to live with his sister in San Francisco. When he arrived back in the United States, he stopped referring to himself as Jin Fan and began using the nickname that nurses in the hospital where he was born had given him. From now on, he would be known as Bruce Lee. And he is the star of the film we're talking about tonight, Way of the Dragon. It's Death by Video! Here's a movie that you never seen. The map of some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles, there'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. Woo! I'm Phil. I'm Tit. And I'm Graham saying welcome back to another episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. We are diving into a legitimate Bruce Lee film this time. It is Bruce Lee's Way of the Dragon from 1972, a.k.a. Return of the Dragon, uh, because it was released after Enter the Dragon in the United States uh, in 1974. Um, so guys, before we get into Bruce Lee's Way of the Dragon, have we seen anything interesting since we last recorded I've sort of seen, I'm still working on The Last Pogo Jumps Again, the three and a half hour epic documentary uh, about the Toronto punk scene of the late 70s. Hmm. I'm slowly savoring it. Uh, piece by piece? Piece by piece. Nice. Yeah, I, I've wanted to see that for a while, but the runtime has always kind of made me fear, weary. Who, Phil, who are some of the, I, I am a, uh, a punk novice. I, I don't know too much about the genre. Um, Green Day, right, guys? Right. Um, but who's who's uh who are the bands of the uh, late seventies Toronto punk scene? Uh, among them are um, the Diodes, the Diodes, uh, Teenage Head, Teenage Head, the honorary Torontonians, Teenage Head. They're from so. the Hamilton. I know. Uh, the Vile Tones, mm-hmm. um, and others. Yeah. <laughs> And others would be a good name for a punk band, actually. Yeah, the interesting thing is most of those bands, like uh, like the Vile Tones, they were playing just a couple years ago. Like they're still yeah. kind of around, and they have very little recorded material. They never yeah. released a full length album. And well, I think the the other issue as well is that like so many of the Toronto punk bands of the time, and especially the nineteen eighties Toronto hardcore scene, which is essentially just 
forgotten at the time is that because they recorded to cassette and not vinyl. Yeah. So a lot of their stuff just either got uh, the ta- the tapes uh, disintegrated or just got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, there's also some new wave stuff that's covered in the documentary, like the B-Girls and like mm-hmm. um, Martha and the Muffins. Yeah. Well, it's like the... Uh, I really enjoy the book Treat Me Like Dirt, which is the, um, the book on tr- the Toronto punk scene from like, I think... 78 to 91 maybe i can't okay. I, or maybe it was like 81 it was a very i've always meant to read that book. yeah yeah i haven't read it in a while and i'm i, I should reread it because it's a it's a good fun book talks about how like musicians used to be unionized in uh you had to be in, in the union to play the horseshoe tavern mm. well also what's interesting about the last pogo jumps again is that it's basically just an elegy to like a lost toronto it's just yeah. you know like this Basically, you know, like Toronto was just, you know, like this square little town in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like all these art kids and punk kids, you know, they basically just formed their own happenings and yeah. these underground bars and uh, these downtown dives yeah. that are forever lost to the ages. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but it is. Anything yeah. else, Phil, that you've been watching? Um, I watched The Onion Field, which is not great, but I did like it. Um, cool. As much as I hate to say that James Woods has given great performances years ago, it does boast a really great James Woods performance. Man, El Salvador, he's great in that film. Mm-hmm. He's great in freaking... Videodrome. Videodrome. I was going to say John Carpenter's Vampires. <laughs> Casino. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a good actor. In, well, in Casino, he's almost playing himself, though, oh, it seems sure. like. Yeah. <laughs> he's really good at playing scumbags, yeah. I think we should point out. Um, all right, so, Kit, have you seen anything interesting since we last recorded? I, uh, I've been rather busy this past week, but I did get uh, time to squeeze in two movies. Oh, well, one is, uh, quote, unquote, a movie. Although I think you saw it as well, so maybe oh, I'll wait. No, is this what I'm thinking it's going to be? It's it's Fear Street 1994, <laughs> which I popped on last night. On the uh, it it looked like more nostalgia bait, but I was like, you know, rated R, they might be able to do something. No, I disagree. <laughs> no, it it barely earns its rated R rating. Uh, only one kill actually uh, is is gruesome enough to uh, warrant it, and the rest is just like, oh man, look at that Temple of the Dog poster on the wall. Oh, man, look at that. Listen to that closer uh, needle drop. Ooh, is that the pixies I hear? Ooh, it's mostly that. Um, the plot is not... It's boring. It's it's just more of the same. It's Stranger Things again. Um, there's going to be more, and I, I don't even know if I care to watch it, really. Too much is going on. I just did not enjoy it. Okay, well, here I'm of two minds of the subject because I actually thought uh, Fear Street 1994 was quite fun. I agree the needle jobs are too much, but that's Netflix. Like they're they have the money to put to do, spend it, they will. It's that's the that was I guess the only fun thing, but I mean that's a very see, cheap I didn't, fun. See, I didn't. Uh, it's actually a very expensive fun. Um, uh, yeah, no, but I mean <laughs> in terms of actual like generating fun for the audience, it's like oh, you guys remember uh, Astro Creep 2000 from White Zombie. Anyways, I enjoyed it. I, I like listen. We've we've long established Kit doesn't like movies. That's, this I, is not true. I I enjoyed it. It's you got to admit though, it's more Stranger Things. No, um, it really is. No, no, it's not because it's a different tone completely. It's the same tone. No, it's not. It's flat. It's this no. is a television program masquerading as a, Wait, as, is, a as a movie. That's my only downside is that because I was going to last night start watching part two, nineteen seventy eight. 
Um, which, which is, is, which is just camp. going to be a Friday the 13th ripoff, just like this one was a bit and of a scream ripoff. I'm and then- okay with that. We need more ripoffs. Come on. Um, but the pro- the reason why I didn't go in and watch um, uh, part two, 19- 1978, is because it's a hundred. It's an hour and 50 minutes. And I'm like, my issue with it is, is like, I thought the first one, if you just ended it when they stopped it, and then I would have been like, great, it's a movie. But they clearly are like, how do we because the, the issue Netflix always has is they dump other stuff at once and it gets one weekend of publicity and then it's gone. So what they're doing with they this is like... They could stop doing that. They could. They won't, though. Because that's their whole thing. is like, we give it to you all at once, which is what you want. Yeah, sometimes you yeah. don't give the people what they want. No. Because the people don't know what they you really want. You give them want. what they need. That's correct. Um, and, like, my issue with, with this is, like, when I saw the running time for part two, I'm like, this is supposed to be a fun horror movie keep it to 90 minutes like there's it's it's i am very weary to watch a quote-unquote fun horror movie if it's over 90 minutes long although another movie i'm going to talk about this week that i did watch is over 90 minutes actually it's 101 minutes and that put me off for one night and then i watched it the next night and i'm like oh it actually was really good really fun uh i'd say it's a much if you were disappointed by a fear street 1994 it's a much better fun horror film to watch it's also the thing that where it has to be an overarching storyline like why not yeah. can we just do like an anthology series where it's like three movies mm-hmm. you know yeah, sure there are homages to to, to different older genres, stuff to yeah. different genres but like just keep it at that well that's kind of what i thought it was initially going to be because it was like and there wouldn't be so much overlap because uh, when they initially announced it, it was like, okay, there's going to be one that's set in 1994. I'm like, okay, cool, that's the 90s horror. There's one that's going to be set in 1978. I'm like, okay, that's going to be like late 70s slasher horror. And then there's going to be one set in 1666. I'm like, ooh, that's going to be some the witch or something. <laughs> can't, can't wait for the needle drops on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot of Vivaldi just uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> erupting on some the uh, Beethoven. screen. Beethoven. Um, but, uh, but no, so Fear Street 1994... Uh, I recommend it. Kit does not. And you I know just, what? I and gave it fun. two stars. I mean, it's mm-hmm. okay. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, man, I didn't even like it as much as... Um, I gave it three, though. So I didn't, scary stories you tell in the dark. Yeah, like, I, I didn't give it three and a half or a four. I'm really starting to get like a little bit more precious with my four stars. It did stars. have one good kill, though. That that yeah. one rated R. Uh, but they stole that from... Uh, what did, from what, Intruder. But, from Intruder, but, yeah. Did they? No, because that was a bread slicer in... Uh, ah, it's very shoot. close. It's it very seems close, like it was... What? That's what they were going for. If they're going to steal something... Kudos for stealing it from Intruder because that yeah. is a deep cut. Yeah, that fair enough. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was that was cool enough. Yeah. Um, and then the other movie I just watched earlier today was uh, I went back to the the Shaw Brothers Vault. Nice. And I checked out the Flying Guillotine. Um, cool. How was that? Pretty sweet, actually. I kind of enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, that's when I got to recheck. I watched that when I was a teenager, and I can't. I, remember. I wasn't sure what the Flying Guillotine was, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's it's a flying disc. That somehow drops perfectly on a person's head and chops the head off, and then they pull they pull the thing back and they have the head. Nice. <laughs> it's it's pretty sweet. There's some some good kung fu in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed it, and the plot is like good, man. Like there's there's a lot going on. It's not it's not a thin plot. A little low on the kung fu, but uh, the concept is so much fun. I, I enjoyed it. Cool. Was it, where is the streaming anywhere? Uh, it's on Netflix, but it is leaving Netflix July 22nd, so watch it now uh, if <laughs> like you want to. I like how pointed at me as you said that. <laughs> do they actually announce when stuff's leaving, or do you, do you use your secret internet sources? No, uh, oddly enough, um, like it was, uh, the movie had ended, and um, like I I went to, it went to that thing where it puts the credits into a box, and it's like, we're going to show you a preview of this. 
Um, but then also uh, it had a screen of uh, the flying guillotine. It's like leaving Netflix July 22nd. I'm like, well, I just watched it, so that's fine. Yeah. But uh, good to know, I guess. In case you wanted to watch it again. Yeah, exactly. Or to tell your friends. Or maybe uh, a lot of the Shaw Brothers, because they do have a lot of Shaw Brothers stuff on Netflix, and maybe that's leaving. So, you know, watch... Um, oh, uh, uh, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin is oh, just a classic. That's yeah. just a fantastic movie. Yeah. Uh, and there's a few others on there that are pretty good. Okay, so the next film that I want to talk about is... I watched the film Vicious Fun from... Uh, it actually premiered last year at the Fantasia Horror Film Festival up here in uh, Canada. Um, I watched it because I do have two connections to it. I... Uh, I'm friends with and I work with uh, two of the people involved, Jeff Mahar, the cinematographer, and Steph Copeland, the the composer and uh, songwriter for the film. And this movie is super fun. It is, it's, initially I was like a little weird because it's set in 1983, but they don't really make a big deal out of it. Like there's no like, there's actually no needle drops. Uh, which because it's a independent Canadian film, they, they can't, can't afford, afford it. Yeah. <laughs> Does stuff make music in the style of 1983 music? Sort of. She uh, she makes really good. It's really good synth wave stuff. Well, although the interesting thing is that what everyone kind of considers 80s synth wave now isn't 80s synth wave. Like 80s synth wave is much different. It, it was really just John Carpenter and Tangerine Dream doing it. Um, but uh, but no, her score is fantastic. It's it's a really great thing, really fun film. The whole concept is that basically, this guy uh, gets drunk in a bar, passes out, like he thinks he's going to the washroom, but he passes out in like the janitor's closet, wakes up and finds that oh, there's a support group meeting going on after the bar is closed, and they think like oh, Phil, you're here. Why don't you grab a seat and join in? And he's just kind of sitting there, like still like drunk, trying to like figure out how am I going to get out of this. Turns out it's a support group for serial killers. And uh, mayhem ensues. Uh, it's very fun. I highly recommend it. I only, for some reason, gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. It is a four star film. I'm like you, the more you I can think, change those. After yeah, the fact. yeah. I, and I am. I'm doing that right now. Uh, oftentimes, with my Letterboxd reviews and ratings, I will be like, consider it a week later, and like, yeah, I'm gonna change that and uh, increase that or decrease that. Sometimes. Yeah. No, I. Uh, this film is is great. Uh, vicious fun. It's streaming on Shutter right now. I uh, I'm probably gonna buy the Blu-ray when it comes out. I and I have yet to talk to Jeff or Steph about um, about their work on it, but I'm excited to to let them know how much I like this film. And it's also a great when you see a Canadian film worked on by people that you know, and it's good. I've worked on a lot of films where uh, that's not the case. Um, and then the last one I saw was the Hollywood Nights from 1980. That's Nights spelled K-N-I-G-H-T, um, and it stars Tony Danza. That, nice. But not really. He's only in a couple scenes. Michelle Pfeiffer, Fran Drescher. Uh, I think it's Michelle Pfeiffer's first movie, and I think it's Fran Drescher's first movie, and the guy that plays... Um, Arliss? Al yes, Alexander Knox. Well, I was going for Alexander Knox in Batman. <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, the guy who plays Arliss. <laughs> yeah, I, I only know this movie because the band New Bomb Turks, they took, took their, their... name from... from Yeah, his, his the, name is New Bomb Turk. New Bomb Turk. Um, it's uh, the underrated. I had to throw in an underrated '90s punk band. Uh, oh, the New Bomb Turks! I know yeah. they're it's, they're super fun. I used to hear them on uh, who what they were on, they were, on Epitaph? Uh, they were they were on Epitaph, but they were initially on Crypt Records, which is like the greatest garage label. They've they came to fame with like the Back from the Grave comps and right. Uh, the Gories were on Crypt Records, and yeah. So, anyways, uh, back Lots to. Words. Back to the Hollywood Nights. Uh, it's a fun. Uh, it's not. Here's the thing. I don't even think I liked the enjoyed the film that much. 
but it's just the it's that late 70s early 80s filmmaking period which to me i realize is like my favorite period for just hangout movies and this is just like it's kind of like i described it in my review on letterbox as being kind of it's a american graffiti ripoff with a dash of the wanderers thrown in so it's about the last night that this like drive-in restaurant uh tubbies or jubbies or something is going to be open and it's this uh car club slash fraternity called the the hollywood knights and it's like and they're kind of like mourning like oh you know back when we were in you know when we were kids like dozens of people wanted to like pledge and uh tonight on halloween night there's only four people pledging but it's it's interesting it's also interesting just to see like like it, it's got a dash of the raunchy porky's comedy a little yeah. bit little a little bit of that thrown in but not enough to make you want to stop watching it it's not as rapey as like porky's or um national lampoons or Ant, national lampoons anything um yeah uh actually it's not rapey at all there's no um mm. there's no sexual assaults uh oh, good yeah, there's a lot of farting, but yeah. no, no sexual Revenge assaults. of the Nerds would fall in that category as well. Yeah, god damn, Revenge of the Nerds is such yeah. a terrible movie. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, like, there are certain people that are like, no, it's about liberation of whatever, and no, it's like, not. Like Toby in American Splendor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, so that was that. So Where, Where's that streaming? Though? Hollywood Nights, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime through the Hollywood Suite okay. channel. Yeah, like yeah. I, from what I've heard, that's, that was like an HBO staple in the '80s. Yeah, I mean that's where it kind of got its its cult following. It's like it's one of those HBO movies that like would play repeatedly, um, especially that like that one was late night screenings. Although the other film being Beastmaster, which was really well known there, because the old joke was that HBO stood for "Hey Beastmasters on." Um, so with that, <laughs> we're going to watch our feature film for this evening. We'll be back to talk about it. It is Bruce Lee's Way of the Dragon. Hell yeah. If you're looking for more horror outside of the mainstream, look no further than Unsung Horrors, a podcast about underseen horror movies. I'm Lance. And I'm Erica. Every other week, we'll cover a horror movie with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. We'll even give you double feature recommendations to pair with the movies we discuss. From gothic to shot on video, from slashers to comedies, from giallo to J-horror, we'll cover all the subgenres. So join us as we unearth these hidden gems of horror. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And that was Way of the Dragon, starring Bruce Lee. Yeah, the real Bruce Lee, not Bruce Lee, not Bruce Sly, not Bruce Long. Just good old Bruce Lee, L-E-E. Chuck Lee or whatever. Any of those guys, yeah. Um... Okay, so right off the bat, I just want to say that after the success of The Big Boss and Fist of Fury, Bruce Lee was given complete control by Golden Harvest producing uh, Productions to write, to write, direct, choreograph, and star in Way of the Dragon. And uh, after American Karate Champion Joe Lewis turned down the role of the lead villain in Way of the Dragon, a.k.a. Colt, Bruce reached out to a karate champion he met at a 1964 demonstration in Long Beach, California. This karate champion was Chuck Norris, uh, which led to his on-screen debut in this film wow, as Colt. So this, this actually paved the way for Chuck Norris's whole career. Yes, a something that, like, I think looking back on, Bruce Lee probably would have regretted if he lived. But uh, I will say that uh, Chuck Norris moves a lot better than he did in Expendables Three. Yeah, which is the last movie I saw him in. <laughs> well, 
we should point out that like Chuck Norris in this movie is like 31 or 30, probably yeah, 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 31 yeah. because it was filmed in like 1971 and then was released in 1972 in He's Asia. He's already passed his... Um uh, the peak of his kung fu career, of his uh, martial arts career, I should say. Of his, of his, yeah, of his yeah. combat sports career, yeah, for sure. Uh, the movie makes a case to point out in the fantastic opening credit sequence, Chuck Norris and right underneath, seven-time karate champion, I think worldwide? Uh, yeah, I, it was seven times American and worldwide. Yeah, American yeah. and worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, an interesting thing about the credits, not to get you know, jump right into it, but um, they did a thing I haven't seen where it's like, every like main actor they're like and here's what they're known for even like the lead actress they're like this is a beauty queen that won uh won a contest here and there and blah 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 italian beauty is what they called her and that actress's name was sorry i'm just looking up to make sure we don't forget her it was uh melissa longo is it was that the um the brief yes that was her that was so there was a there so was she's a, barely in the movie yeah. she doesn't even have a speaking line in it but also, really? Chuck Norris gets top billing, but he only shows up at the end of That's the film. That's true. He's in there for about 15 minutes. Although she has had a long, illustrious career in Italian cinema. She was in The Sicilian Connection, Naughty Nun, Rocco the Meme Machine, War Goddess, uh, Super Stooges versus The Wonder Woman, Black Emmanuel, White Fang and the Hunter, uh, Salon Kitty, Mark Strikes Again, Frowlin Kitty, California, El Macho, War of the Robots, Star Odyssey, The Iron Hand of the Mafia, Guan King of the Barbarians, The Red Monks, and and Lucio Fulci's A Cat in the Brain. All right, tying it all so back into Lucio Fulci. So it's a lot of Italian sexploitation and general Italian exploitation. Yeah, yeah, she 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 definitely like got around. Not to derail the conversation, but you got have you guys heard much about Paul Verhoeven's new uh, horny nun movie? No, but you had me at Paul Verhoeven's horny nun. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's uh, premiering in cons, apparently raising a lot of eyebrows, and it's uh, it's just like horny nuns. I love that Paul Verhoeven can still do that, like, 50 <laughs> years later. It's just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this movie at con. And one critic was like, oh, these nuns have toned bodies and, like, groomed pubic hairs. This doesn't make any sense. And it's like, yeah. Uh. It's a Paul Verhoeven movie. <laughs> he made Robocop, Starship Troopers, Hollow Man, and Basic Instinct. None of it makes sense. Uh, so let's start at the start. The, the credits are pretty, are really good. Like, oh, yeah. I really enjoyed the credits to this film, which I can't say about many films anymore. No. Um, and then we get right into it, the opening shot, and you can tell Bruce Lee directed this himself, because it opens on a... Benedetta co- is the name of the Horny Nun movie. Benedetta is the Horny Nun movie, okay. Yeah, like the opening credits, it's like stop motion, uh, dragon boat... Uh, yeah, animation. Yeah. Really cool. And the film opens on a close-up of Bruce Lee himself, which is like... It's his big old face just yeah. filling the frame. Mm-hmm. And so this film is a, a bit of a different tone from Enter the Dragon, which most people know Bruce Lee from. It's a bit more comedic. It almost feels like it's a Jackie Chan movie. Um, and we were we all kind of said at a certain point that like, hey, this kind of feels like a, a prequel to Rumble in the Bronx. It's pretty much it's it's got the tone of a Jackie Chan film, except for the the uh, improvisation that uh, Jackie Chan was known for in, in terms of fighting. Yeah. Although the tone does take a drastic uh, shift in the last 20 minutes, I mm-hmm. But even then, we've got, like, the kittens viewing the fight. Oh, yes. The, yeah. the, 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 we'll get to the kittens. And, so, uh, so we should point out, so ja- it's Jackie Chan. So Bruce Lee is uh, Tone Lung? Uh, let me go back to... Yeah. Tang Tang Lung. Tang, Tang Lung, also known as Ah Lung. Depending, yeah. I get more of a nickname, I guess. Mm-hmm. So he is sent to Rome to work with Chen Qinghua, who is played by Nora Miao, and Chung Husung Huang, who is, plays Uncle Wang. Uh, they're 
their restaurant is being uh, dis- like totally disrupted by local Italian thugs. Tang Lung is basically sent there to uh, kind of like show them what for and hey, you can't mess with Kung Fu. Early on, he like is trying to communicate. He also can't speak English in this film. Yeah, there's a, a whole like fish out of water kind of scene at the at the beginning, uh, where he like goes into a rest. He first he tries to uh, a boy has some food and he like tries to ask the boy, "Where do I get food?" Except he doesn't know any English, so he just goes ah and points to his mouth, and the boy is terrified and runs away, mm-hmm. <laughs> dropping his ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then, then he gets into a restaurant, and all he wants to do is order eggs, but he doesn't know how to say eggs in either Italian or in English, so he ends up getting five bowls of soup. Yeah, he just points to <laughs> he just points to the menu, and that's how he gets soup. By the way, uh, listeners, if you hear oh, horns in the background, <clears throat> sorry, if you hear horns in the background, um, Italy just won the Euro Cup, um, beating well, England. Sorry, all, boys, yeah. it is not coming home after sorry, all. Sorry, lads. Um, you know, have a cold one and go home and weep. Um, <laughs> But uh, back to Way of the Dragon. Uh, so we go to the restaurant where it turns out that all of the waiters, the wait staff, are learning karate in the back alley. Now, this I noticed this is a common theme in Bruce Lee's movies, that karate is an inferior martial art. And I will say, as a former karate student, that's not true. What did you attain, by the way? Did you get a brown belt? Or? I had a purple belt second stripe. Oh, okay. I guess so, that's yeah. good. So, yeah, no, I did it for years when I was a kid uh, or, or a preteen or teenager. My dad always told me he had a black belt. I'm never sure whether to believe him or not. That's lots of people would say <laughs> he that He was back in the then. military, so it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, maybe they taught you that. But yeah. I have no idea. Possibly. And also every school has, like, different, but like, in certain schools, red belt is higher than black belt. Ah, there's yeah. uh, the um, the movie with Chiwetelle Ejiofor. Uh, it's the called Red Belt. Red Belt, but it's also Tim David Allen. Mamet. Yes. David Mamet wrote it. Tim Allen has a co-star in it. But back to this film. So Phil, they uh, Bruce Lee meets up with the the karate training wait staff, and then what happens? They uh, they they mock his uh, they mock his his kung uh, fu. Yes. Yeah, and then uh, Bruce Lee is like, "Oh wow, I don't know if I should uh, work on you guys." Like, "Oh, <laughs> we have padded. We have we pads. Use, we have pads." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's at this point that I think well, we... Yeah, yeah, as soon as they get ready for all the pads and he's going to do a demonstration, uh, Uncle Wang comes out and he's like, hey, you guys, you got to get in uniform. It's time to open. Yeah, so they switch from their karate gis into their uniforms. And just as a local family of Italians are sitting down to eat some Chinese food, in comes the bosses, or the local bosses, thugs to scare them off. Which is Mr. Ho... Mm-hmm. who is uh, this kind of classic. I was saying that I've been reading a lot of uh, old detective fiction lately, and this is kind of a trope, but it's the basically obviously gay guy who's a criminal. Mm-hmm. He's played by Ping Wu Hui. You can tell by his fashion. Yeah, he's very effeminate. He likes to touch men on their chest and their plexes. Um, and he's also the most fashionable one of all the guys there. Exactly. All the uh, the other guys are like these uh, collection of white guys who look like roadies for Leonard Skinner, basically. Yeah, there was that one guy who definitely looked like he was an accountant who somehow got into this gang. And some of them look like yacht rock musicians. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I could see the the guy in the uh, the guy with the beard. The port we called him the portly gang member. I could see him belting out Eddie Money's two tickets to Paradise at oh, a karaoke sure. night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, they come. I mean, we also skipped like the sex worker. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but well, I don't know if we need to get into that. Nah. Well, that is the uh, the the actress Italian that is mentioned queen. there. Apparently, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, so they go to a bank to to change his money. This is before the restaurant scene. Um, what's, uh, the, the actresses? Melissa ter- Longo. M- Melissa, L- no, but the, um. Oh, the, um. Nora the- Meow? Nora Meow is the character. Oh, no, no, Nora Meow is the actress. Uh, it's Chen Qinghua. Chen Qinghua. Anyway, they go to exchange his money from Hong Kong dollars to, uh, to whatever they spend in. Italian. Lira? I don't know. Lira, yeah, it would, be, it would have been the Lira at the time. Um, and he's like, he's very, like, he doesn't want to show the bank manager, um, his money he's like very careful with it and then she has to she admonishes him afterwards he's like he's not a thug he's a bank manager you can't act like he's a criminal you need to learn how to be polite and while she's doing this who we clocked pretty early on as a prostitute just comes up to him puts her arm around him and says would you like to come back to my place and he's like well okay yeah even though he doesn't know <laughs> what she's saying because he doesn't speak English but I guess the language of love teaches him where to go yeah, like he's practicing martial arts while he's waiting for her, and then she comes out, her assets are showing, and then he gets frightened and yeah. runs away. Like a 13-year-old yeah, boy. I, I looked away for a second, and uh, the guys are telling me, you guys, you just missed boobs. I did not see the boobs. Yeah. Um, so anyways, now we're back at the restaurant. Now it's like it's almost go time, and the uh, everyone's kind of like, why did they send this guy here? Why did they send Tang Lung here? He's... He's just hanging around. He doesn't know. He doesn't even speak English. Why is he here? How can he help our business? And so at this point, the um, the the karate guys uh, say like, "Hey, do you guys want to step outside to the thugs?" They step out into the back alley. The main karate waiter gets taken out immediately by the thugs, and then it's at this point the Tang Lung just decides like, hey, "Let me let me give it a shot," and he just bashes the crap out of these guys. Like it's not even close. He shows them two moves. He shows them Little Dragon asking for directions, which just knocks one guy out flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next guy comes up, and he, he shows them Big Dragon whipping its tail, knocks yeah, him flat. which is a uh, spinning back roundhouse kick. Very fast. Yeah, like, this is, this movie's a real slow burn. Like, it's... Yeah, it took, take, it's 30 minutes until he gets to his first fight. Yeah, it feels a bit longer than 30 minutes. Not that it's boring, but it's it takes a while before you get to that first fight, and uh, the, that first payoff is... Uh, it's pretty well, good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like we're in Rome right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually don't know if it's being picked up by the microphones, but there are a lot of very jubilant Italian Canadians out driving around honking after they've probably been drinking all afternoon. Um, <laughs> this is true. Um, we are very close to uh, Corso Italia. Yeah. Viva Corso Italia. Spaghetti for everybody. My, my ex-bosses at Fayama must be so delighted right now. Nice. Um... So basically, this establishes that Tang Lung is the man, and I should point out that like after watching two Bruce Ploitation films where you have not Bruce Lee trying to act like Bruce Lee, seeing the real Bruce Lee do it, like this guy is fast, he is fluid, 
and he he's, he's cut so much better than all of those guys yeah, do. Yeah. Like he is a sculpted body. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie with like real production values and you know, yeah. just like real beautifully choreographed, real well edited mm-hmm. action. Well, that's part of his, his part of his like idea for when in coming to direct it was just like just let the action be the action. Like yeah. don't overcut it. Don't go for cl- unnecessary close-ups even though yeah. there are the famous kung fu snap zooms in this. <laughs> Um, but it's like, by the way, but yeah, yeah, they're all motivated and it's just like, you just let the action play out and don't take anything away from the, from the skilled performers on the screen. Yeah. These are trained, uh, you're hiring actors who are also trained in martial arts. You actually want to show that they can do the moves. Mm -hmm. So no unnecessary editing. Actually, the camera is framed. It's still, you can actually see the fights. This is such a welcome relief from the mm-hmm. um the exploitation films that we yeah. were sawing yeah which looked like they might have some good kung fu choreography but it was just all gone to shit because of the uh because of the directing because of the uh, yeah and also the cropping doesn't help yeah that yeah. that too mm-hmm. yeah um uh, the action instructors by the way were bruce lee and somebody named unicorn chan oh yeah unicorn chan don't know anything about him but that's a, a baller name <laughs> yeah yep yeah. Um, so from here, where do we go, guys? I think this is where we start to realize that this is a bigger threat than anyone was really aware of. It's not just street thugs. It's actually like a full on. Well, Mr. Ho goes back to his boss. I don't. Do we get the boss's name? I didn't write it down. If we did, uh, the boss's name is just the boss, but he's played by John T. Ben. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly where the plot goes from here, but they're like they want this restaurant. They they mm-hmm. they want to control this restaurant. I don't know exactly why. Yeah. Um, but that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What does happen here? A whole lot of filler. Like, there's like we see uh, Bruce Lee sharpening some chopsticks, and which yep. he has a infinite supply of these sharpened chopsticks, which he can throw as fast as a bullet at any point. And I, I have uh, this movie has inspired me to start carrying around sharpened chopsticks uh, on my person as well, just in case a fight breaks out. You never know. Yeah. Um, this film also as opposed to many kung fu films at the time, featured guns throughout it. Like, normally guns would show up at the end when the police would show up, but in this one, there's guns throughout because I guess it's like, oh, they're the mafia. Even though, like, even in Italy, like, at the time in the early 70s, finding handguns was pretty rare. And, like, in any major city on Earth, like, handguns are, let's say, civilized major cities, um, Texas. Um, handguns are... Um, are actually like really restricted and firing one within city limits is illegal. That's like in New York City, in Italy, and actually in Hong- in the entirety of Hong Kong, handguns are handguns are banned. Um, I will point out that there's this uh, this one weird affectation, this character affectation. When anybody says that uh, Tang Lung uh, is from Hong Kong, they're like, "Oh, you're from Hong Kong." He's like, "Oh, I'm just from a small uh, a, a new settlement outside of Hong Kong, and I never leave. I just practice martial arts every day." Yeah, he says this a couple times. Some kind of weird, almost. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering what was going on at the time that caused. Like he doesn't want to be known as a guy from Hong Kong. He's like, he's like, I'm from the outer territories or whatever yeah, they're yeah. called, something like that. Um, but anyways, we get to like the the big thrust is that this big mafioso guy John T. Ben as the boss wants to completely take over the restaurant and i guess have all of those sweet restaurant profits yeah those like narrow margins for a chinese restaurant in italy so the bad guys keep on coming back and pushing their luck essentially they keep Mm -hmm. on um coming in there being nuisances having to get dragged outside and, and another fight happens one time the uh the 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 portly guy yeah he pulls a gun mm-hmm. um 
and more fights break out. Man, it, it's hard to remember the middle part of this movie, and we just watched it. Yeah. Phil, anything? No. <laughs> okay. But that's not that's not saying it's bad, though. No, it's not. It was, this it, was, it was consistently interesting. I was never bored during this film. And I was so thankful it was only 90 minutes long. Oh, I've seen yes. so many movies that are like 100, 120 minutes, and it's like, why? Essentially, we get to the point where the bad guys cannot beat um, yeah. Tang Lung. Well, they, they keep on trying, and they cannot do it. Well, they do tr- send a sniper to try and shoot him. Yes. yes. And that fails. And then this leads to... Um, <laughs> the sniper shoots at him and then throws his gun at him. That's, that's the which best. Which is one of those... While fireworks are being set as well. Yeah, yeah because it's Chinese New Year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so fireworks are being set. It, it, it reminds Bruce, Bruce Lee's character of home. He's like, yeah. oh... Mm-hmm. You know, they're not even allowed in Hong Kong. He hates Hong Kong, apparently. Yeah. He's, so, he's proud to be from the outside territory. Well, I think that's Bruce Lee in general, is that, like, when he moved to America from Hong Kong when he was a teenager, he's like, oh, like, I can just be free to be myself and not have to be some kind of stereotype or button-down uh, traditional human. Um, so uh, after the sniper takes a shot and misses, he leaves uh, Chen Chen Hua at... Uh, her apartment and he runs to the building next door to face the sniper and that's where like he goes up the stairwell and he realizes hmm if I come out of this door onto the roof the sniper will shoot me dead so the sniper fires all of his bullets into the into the door and this is where he comes like Bruce Lee opens up the door and the sniper has a handgun but oh click click it's empty and this is where as you were saying he throws his gun at Bruce Lee which (laughs) which is awesome I love that which always reminds me of this I think it's uh, it might be uh, Up in Smoke or one of these uh, I don't even remember those Harvey Keitel uh, mid 90s movies where he owns a cigar oh, shop. Up in Smoke, that you're thinking of Smoke. And, smoke and, up in Smoke is a Cheech and Chong that's, movie. That's right, right. Smoke, and then I think uh, Blue in the Face was mm-hmm. the sequel. And there's this part where Richard Belzer is talking about how bad guys in movies will run out of bullets and then just throw their gun. And it's like, that's a that's a $200 item you're throwing away. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the fun part then, so basically the, uh, the sniper gets away and Bruce Lee goes back to Chen Ching Hua's apartment to find she's been kidnapped. And now this is when he recruits the rest of the waiters and they all show up at the boss's uh, office, which looks like a penthouse apartment of some kind. Huge epic fight breaks out. All the waiters like fight all the thug guys. And By Bruce, the way, yeah. the interior decors in this uh, this movie are top-notch. Just fantastic. Yeah, I'm thinking about getting some bead curtains. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want <laughs> no, some bead me curtains. Too. No, yeah, there's just some great color schemes as well. Lots of circles and dots and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like I miss... Nice shadowing. I miss late 70s, early 80s Canadian architecture with the porthole windows. I think I want those back. Porthole windows are awesome. And now we don't do them anymore. No. Yeah, they're getting rid of all of our wonderful brutalist architecture for some crappy glass rectangles. Some of that brutalist architecture was not so great, but some of it was was pretty decent. It's fantastic. And mostly rules. Yeah. (laughs) Every... Brutalist building in Toronto built in the 70s and 80s could be the cover of a really great metal album. Just trying to think of York University, which had a lot of that, but not not in a good way. Just that concrete mess. Yeah, that's wonderful. With dots. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a U of T Scarborough was the set of those early Cronenberg movies that were set in the future. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Cronenberg's doing a new. He's I think he's doing another body horror movie. He's doing uh, Crimes of the Future. Or oh, yeah, he's rebooting Crimes of the Future. Yeah. His second movie. I'm because stoked. The original was set in U of T Scarborough. Mm-hmm. I heard about that with Cronenberg doing body horror again. Verhoeven doing horny nun movies with with lesbians. Well, I think these guys like times reach- are good. Yeah, I think these guys like reach- the movies are back. <laughs> yes, Godzilla versus Kong saves cinema. Damn it! Yeah, 
um, as Martin Scorsese would say. Well, like Bill Maher was like having his little hissy fit, like asking Tarantino, like, are we going to have another golden age of cinema? And Bill Maher's like, I really hope so. And I guess, you know, we are. Yeah. The answer is yes. Yeah. Tarantino was a little concerned because, I mean, it's like still not everything's opened up again, but we'll see what happens. Just Warner Brothers, stop putting your movies on streaming services. Put them in theaters where they belong. Make those billions of dollars. As Steven Soderbergh said, they won't. Uh, studios won't give up the theatrical release window because you can make a billion dollars from butts and seats. Like, what was it? Uh, Aquaman of all movies made a billion dollars. Well, well, the thing that Disney's trying to do, where they're like they're going to put their new movies out on streaming services, but they're charging you thirty five dollars. And I understand why they're doing mm-hmm. that because they're like, well, if a family of five went to go see this movie, that's how much it would cost. In, in fact, it would be it would be more expensive. Yeah, that's true. But it's like no, but nobody is used to paying for a movie when you rent a movie at the uh, at at Blockbuster or whatever you, wherever you used to rent a movie for. Yeah, it costs it's one ticket essentially. Mm-hmm. And you can show it to 10 people yeah. if you like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people but, are not used to this $40 shit. But it is, it's working for... $40 to watch on your laptop. <laughs> yeah. No. It's like, no. I have rented some movies on my uh, on my uh, Apple TV that are brand new. That uh, Although I waited a while to rent Godzilla vs. Kong on, on uh, iTunes. But I did spend the 20 bucks to watch King of New York or King of Staten Island. And I don't, I don't mind that. Um, is that any good? Yeah. Give it a watch. Um, it's, it's 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 the Judd Apatow thing where it's a three hour comedy and it's well, like, I don't I don't want to see that. It's the least Judd Apatow of Judd Apatow's movies. I'll put it that way because uh, another he... long movie with action bronze. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to Way of the Dragon. Um, action so... Bronson only in three hour movies. Yeah. So we've um, we've. Uh, Bruce Lee has basically like shown up the and he, this is where he does his infamous kick the light on the ceiling uh, bit to scare off some thugs. He really is, does, and of course, if I was a thug, I would be like, "Oh, I'm out of here." And yeah. this thug definitely looks a like a Allman Brothers roadie tweaker. Like he's <laughs> he's heroin thin. Yeah, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm not gonna do this." <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. The guy just kicked the well, light. It's funny because like Bruce Lee gives like the dismissive hand wave and. And then just does the light kick, and that guy's out. That guy's out of there. Um, uh, so after this, the boss realizes, okay, we got to bring it. We can't just fight him with our normal thugs with guns. Got to bring gotta, in ringers. Yeah, we got to bring in those ringers. And at this point, there's like, okay, we'll bring in a Japanese fighter, and we'll bring in, uh, where was the other fighter from Europe? I, I want to say, yeah, somewhere in Europe. I thought maybe yeah. he was a local local boy, like an Italian boy, but I've, I, I yeah. No I mean, he was played by Robert Wall, who. Um, so maybe we'll. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about Robert Wall because he's an interesting guy. Um, but there's also a third ringer. Yes, and that third ringer is a recent karate champion from America, and that third ringer's name is Chuck Charles Norris. Charlie Norris. I was going to say Chuck Theodore Norris, but I don't know if Theodore is his middle name. That'd be just awesome. His if it character was. is Colt. Yes, Colt. And like you see, this is Chuck Norris, age thirty-one, in his prime, and you're like, man, this guy is like fast and good, and he has presence. He co- he comes on. He's wearing one of those. It, you, you there's they do the thing where there's a drum every time he steps. It's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, he's wearing one of those complicated pattern Dan flashes mm-hmm. shirts. Just fantastic. Yeah. No, it's he's great. wearing aviators. He's got mutton chops. He does not have a stash and beard mm-hmm. that you know him for. 
No mustache, yeah. Now, we also should point out he doesn't say a single word in this movie, which I think is a smart move because... He does. What does he say? I think, like, he's like, thank you. Like, when he arrives at the airport, he's like, he thanks somebody. He's like, oh, thank you. Okay. But as I've learned from watching Chuck Norris movies in my adult age... He is not a good actor. <laughs> no, the, uh, somehow this guy became a marquee name and he has the charisma of like a piece of wet cardboard. He is a black hole of empathy. <laughs> He's not good. No. Um, I mean, in what was that movie? Invasion USA, um, where his, he, his whole thing is like he had his, a catchphrase in it, which is supposed to be a joke. And the joke is, it's time to die. <laughs> and he just says it over and over again, like just sort of like he'll show up behind someone and be with a grenade like, it's time to die. We need to do a classic Chuck Norris on here, like well, missing an act, missing an action three or something. No, like no, that. we should we should definitely do Invasion USA with Scott. We'll bring Scott Sherrick back on the podcast because <laughs> me and him watched that movie together, and we were both like, "What is going on here?" Yeah, that movie is unhinged. Uh, yeah, I you did you have put that on your Christmas mixtapes. So. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's set at Christmas in the USA for some reason. Actually, Gr- Graham for my birthday one year gave me a um, a DVD with I think four Chuck, Chuck Norris. Norris films on there, and, and, and also one uh, short film starring Charles Bronson. Yeah, <laughs> which I have I have not watched this DVD yet, but uh, three of the four films are directed by Chuck Norris's brother. If that wants to, t- if you want to. Yeah. Mean anything from that? We should, show. we should, we should do that. We should just watch that like one night for fun, and maybe record a podcast afterwards. Like it should just be a, <laughs> it should just be a, like we'll see like where this five takes hours us. a bad movie. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> Is Sidekicks on there with Jonathan Brandis? No, no, it's a lot. Like I, I, just, I don't remember the names. I just remember the plots of the movies, and it's a lot of like uh, he's got to protect the president's daughter, that kind of stuff. Right. Hmm. So back to Way of the Dragon. His country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyways, back to Way of the Dragon. So, um, basically, uh, Tang Lung, the owner, Uncle Wang, and one of the, a couple of the, the karate waiters go out to meet up with Ho and, um, I guess, negotiate a truce? There's actually a, a comic relief waiter mm-hmm. there who's like, he's like the main waiter. Yeah. He's a bit portly. I don't know if he ever has a... He must have a name. He does. It's on something. It is. It's almost It's on Kun. Yeah, it's very close to Along. He's played by Tai Chin, and I think this is his most famous role. So yeah, they go out there. He actually uh, performs in the one scene in the uh, in the bad guy's penthouse. He actually does perform a pretty sweet move where he like he has his arm behind his back and he kind of gets the bad guy to him and he like tries to pretend he's going to do something else and then just last second he snaps the bad guy in the head with the uh, the thing that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, have we talked about Bruce Lee's uh, nunchucks? No, this is the only movie where he uses two nunchucks at the same time. So in an earlier scene where he basically has to beat up the entirety of this gang, he has he produces two nunchucks from behind his back. Cause we have no idea where these nunchucks come from. It's like Batman's utility belt. And he just nunchucks the heck out of all the gang members. Like, he, he has sharp chopsticks that he impales people with, but he also has... P- these nunchucks then so yeah we've the ambidextrous bruce lee and there's actually uh well i mean i guess this this goes back to the uh, the film we reviewed in our last episode mm-hmm. um bruce lee goes to hell where he just he has a boner nunchuck it's the gag at the at the beginning of yeah. the movie 
But uh, in this one, the the portly gangster actually gets a hold of one of his nunchucks and immediately knocks himself in the face with it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that part was great. Where like he's just like, all right, all right, I'm gonna use it, and then kabam, just out. Um, so back to this meeting, and this is where Ho introduces the two ringers, the uh, the Japanese karate champion and the European and Robert Wall, and um, it basically becomes a fight between the two waiters and Bruce versus the two ringers, and they, they do manage to take him out. Uh, these fights are great. Like, I, I really love, like, Robert Wall yeah, looks... They're well choreographed. They looks, look good. Yeah, I mean, it was Bruce Lee doing the choreography. Robert Wall looks like he's 10 feet tall in these scenes. It's just fantastic. Like, I can't say enough good things about these fight scenes. There's a, there's a couple POV shots, too, like, mm-hmm. where you're getting punched in the face by Robert Wall. Oh, Pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. They're badass. Um, but the interesting thing is that this is all a distraction to lead to the real trap. And so Ho gets leads Bruce Lee away, and this is when Uncle Wang reveals his nefarious plot. It turns out that he actually is in on the whole idea to, like, give up his restaurant. Actually, I think it's it's Chin Ching Hua who, um, who owns the restaurant, and Uncle Wang is just the cook. That so, could be true. Yeah, I, th- that part was a little bit foggy. But yeah, I th- Uncle Wang's always wearing the chef's hat. Yeah, this would make more sense because as I as I yelled out while we were watching it, if you're Uncle Wang, why wouldn't you just tell them that you're like, oh man, if the if the gangsters take over this, I could go back to Hong Kong and see my family. That's probably where I'm at. Yeah, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he stabs his waiters in the back. Literally in this scene, <laughs> he takes out a knife, stabs his two waiters in the back to death. And then sends Bruce Lee off to meet his doom, which they think is against Chuck Norris, a.k.a. Colt, which it isn't. They're so cocky about this, too. They're like, you just saw the man that will kill you. Yep. So, and this, they go to the Coliseum in Rome, which, by the way, we'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but they did not have permission to shoot at the Coliseum. They, like, like, scouted it and scouted it and scouted it, and then just basically it was, like, one camera operator with a focus puller, and the two actors just running around, just trying to trying to get all this stuff before they got caught. There, there's a pretty sweet scene where we first see Chuck Norris, and he's in one of the uh, the columns, <laughs> one of the windows, uh, up mm-hmm. high, and he's got his he's got massive thumbs. This man, just just giant thumbs. He could be friggin' playing bass, uh, bass guitar <laughs> if he wanted to. He's like nice. Lester Claypool, but he's got the uh, he's got the thumb pointed up, and then he points it down because it's fight time. <laughs> So, and this is like, so basically, Bruce Lee pursues him around the Coliseum until he finds him. And this is where we clearly switch from the Coliseum to a back lot, or to a set in Hong Kong, which is fine. Like, it's, it was a great set, and they have an... It looks great, yeah. And the thing is, they, they tie it all together because around the Coliseum in Rome, there's a lot of stray cats. And we actually would notice, like, oh, there's a stray cat in the background of that scene. And so, in the, the interior set in Hong Kong, they actually have a kitten just wandering around watching the fight happen, which is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cute. It's yeah. like uh, one of the cats, it looks like there's two cats maybe. Mm-hmm. And then during the fight, one of the cats is like bored and just like playing with something. But yeah. then the other cat is just like wrapped. It's just like... It's like the cat's watching forth. a tennis match or something just back oh, and yeah, forth. Oh yeah, there, there are so many kitten reaction shots. <laughs> and so this scene features uh, Chuck Norris's chest here and shoulder here which we all were just like telling bruce lee just grab him by the shoulder here and he actually grabs him by the chest here it does that's his first as his first move his first good landing uh blow mm. yeah because well the funny thing about chuck norris is the shoulder hair like his the back bear 
he just got this bright red ginger hair coming out of his uh, his shoulders uh, and very very thick up there and then all along his chest and of course Bruce Lee does grab him by the chest hair and then rip it out and then blows it out of his hand <sighs> and then I think Chuck Norris knocks him down and then wags his finger like don't yeah, do that yeah seriously don't <laughs> come on man fight fair um, this is another great fight scene uh, my favorite part is like just towards the end after they're both kind of beaten up and like Bruce Lee is going in for the final move, there's like a snap zoom to Chuck Norris, a snap zoom to Bruce Lee, and a snap zoom to the kitten. Yeah, it's like uh, it's the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly, except uh, with a cat. With a cat. Yeah. And then uh, Bruce Lee basically defeats well, Chuck Norris. You were you were saying that um, a lot of the thrust of this is that. Um, so he's fighting uh, with his kung fu style originally, yeah. mm-hmm. and then he's getting his getting his ass beat by Chuck Norris, mm-hmm. um, and then he switches to 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 G- So Bruce Lee uh, in the '60s, while in North America, developed his own style of martial arts called Jeet Kune Do, which contained elements of uh, Chinese kung fu as well as Taekwondo, because uh, he met a Taekwondo champion and they really hit it off, and that's where like. He got a lot of his kicks from because Taekwondo is, is known for its high kicks and uh, and thrust kicks and side kicks. And so he basically combined that with Kung Fu and a little bit of, uh, we'll say a little bit of karate, not that much because he was not a fan of karate, to create Jeet Kune Do. And so in this film, as he's fighting a, like, and this film is like him constantly coming up against karate fighters. So in this film, when he faces Chuck Norris, who at the time was a seven times karate champion, who he couldn't beat with his kung fu, he switches to Jeet Kune Do, which is like, you'll notice, like, all of a sudden he starts to, like, dance on his feet a little bit lighter. It's almost like he's adopting, like, a boxing type of, uh, a shadow boxing type of stance. Chuck Norris is at one point entranced by his foot movement. He just looks down at his feet and you can see them dancing around. Mm -hmm. But then Bruce Lee kicks him in the face 800 times and the, the fight's over. And so at this point, Bruce Lee runs back, and uh, Uncle Wang's just like, "Oh, oh my he God!" Actually, he yeah. uh, kind oh, of he... a sad moment. He kills Chuck Norris. Yeah. Well, I mean, like he basically like shatters Chuck Norris's leg, and like Chuck Norris is still trying to kick him, and then he just falls forward, and mm-hmm. then Bruce Lee's got him in like that sort of bear hug, and he snaps his neck. Oh, it's a front face lock that he gets him yeah. in. Yeah. Which is like, which can put you to sleep, but can also break your neck. So like he uses a. Well, we hear the snapping noises. Yeah. Yeah. And that is they the actually of- the Foley artist was having a great old time during this movie because every time Bruce Lee like stretches and works out and like he does this a lot, you can hear like bone snapping every single time, which is you said it was like uh, they're probably just- using celery in the back, yeah. yeah, just like snap, 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 yeah. Um, I definitely felt like cracking my joints, that's- <laughs> yeah, because everyone's like, ooh, that's badass, and then you do it and you're just like, oh, my fingers are so brittle, um. <laughs> So he runs back, and Uncle Wang's like, oh, crap, Tang Lung is still alive. So, so Uncle Wang pulls out a knife and just cuts his own arm to be like, oh, it was a trap all along. Um, and at this point, um, Bruce goes to, like, get... Mr. Ho runs yeah. to the... Because the he's boss is running. there. Yeah, he's running. Yeah. And the boss shows up, and Mr. Ho is like, oh, good, you're here to save me. And the boss just shoots him dead. <laughs> um and but behind uh, Bruce Lee, Uncle Wang has picked up a knife and is about to stab Bruce Lee in the but back. But no worries, because the boss shoots him dead as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it's at this point that uh, the boss has no one left, and we cut to a graveyard where they've buried Uncle Wang. Well, the police show up at mm-hmm. this point, right? Um, and I Thankfully. guess they arrest the boss or, or whatever they do. Yeah, and uh, 
So basically, it's uh, Tang Lung, Chen Qinghua, and Ah Quen at the cemetery where they're burying Uncle Wang and saying like, oh, I can't believe all this happened. We should point out that earlier in the film, um, Tang Lung received another note from Ching, uh, Chen Qinghua's uncle to send him to another place because they need help. Because apparently he's almost like, he's almost, this is almost like a inspired by Kwai Cheng Kang. Like he wanders the earth and just like saves people with his fists and feet. Oh, is this where we get the story that he uh, came up with the idea for uh, Kung Fu? Well, here's the thing. So I did some research into it, specifically the creation of this series Kung Fu. Apparently uh, Tarantino is on David Carradine's side for this, is what I've heard. Well, here's the thing is that... In the 1960s, before um, Bruce Lee was even on the Green Hornet, there were two producers who wanted to develop a martial arts film about a half-Chinese martial arts former Shaolin monk who's traveling the Old West and using his feet and his fists to right wrongs. Uh, As the late 60s dawned, they decided to make it a television series. Now, at the same time, Bruce Lee had pitched the idea of of a television series called The Warrior, which would be about... Uh, a kung fu uh, martial arts master traveling around, uh, also during the Old West, uh, doing it. And initially, the producers who had pitched this idea in the 60s had met with Bruce Lee to discuss it. However, they they unfortunately hit up with, and they were they're very honest about talking about it. Is that basically like there's no way you could cast a Asian lead as the star of a North American television series at the time because audiences they thought wouldn't accept it i mean that's the racism of the time and that's the you you see that a lot like it used to be like the big issue in the 90s when uh roland emmerich wanted to cast will smith in independence day yeah the producers were like you're out of your mind foreign audiences won't accept a black actor and then we saw it again with With scarlett johansson no i was actually gonna (laughs) i was actually gonna go with um in in uh, the, with the film Twelve Years a Slave, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, the Italian posters featured Brad Pitt oh, and geez. Michael Fassbender as like on like the covers with no hint of the the actual leads of the film who were African American. Mm-hmm. So so you get that stuff. So I, from my research, I fall on, on the side of like it was like also Bruce Lee was trying to punch through into Hollywood at the time. My thought was that. If something's a good idea, more than one person will have it at a time. And uh, it was probably like this, the the rise of Bruce Lee's, but they, they released it before Enter the Dragon came out. So Bruce Lee didn't have the stardom yet to even do it. If Enter the Dragon had come out first, he definitely would have been the star of Kung Fu. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you look at the other actors that they were talking to at the same time, like... David Carradine actually seems like the woke choice to go with yeah. because they were talking to John Saxton yeah. to play a half Japanese, half Chinese, half American character. They were also talking to William Smith, who R.I.P. passed away this week. Yeah. He, oh, yes, R.I.P. William Smith. Yes, uh, one of our all-time favorite actors who popped up more than we were expecting him to, like when he showed up in uh, Maniac Cop, and you're like, that's William Smith. Um, uh, we didn't do Maniac Cop on the uh, pod. Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. No. No, we did. Okay. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I might have missed that one. Yeah, because we did Maniac Cop, then Psycho Cop 2, then something part 3. That's right. I missed Maniac Cop. Yeah. And we uh, went to a group screening of uh, Rumblefish, which also featured William Smith. Yeah, which we're all just like, it's William Smith! Um, 
I, and I have a feeling I just bought Action USA. I have a feeling the more movies I watch from the 70s and 80s, the more I'm going to be seeing William Smith again and again and again. Um, back to this film. So the film ends and uh, Tang Lung heads off for another adventure in another place and we go to credits. Yeah, just straight up go to credits. And that was Way of the Dragon. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the behind the scenes information. Okay. <laughs> damn, damn Italians are still honking their horns. It's going to be going all night this long. This is pretty tame by comparison yeah. to what I'm used to. Com- compared to when Portugal won a few yeah. years ago, <laughs> this is the very Portuguese. Tame. Very tame. This is also, I live in a Portuguese neighborhood right next to an Italian neighborhood, so everyone knows. Um, so, because Enter the Dragon was Bruce Lee's first film released in North America, Way of the Dragon was actually retitled Return of the Dragon in order to cash in on that film's success. Makes sense. Yeah. So, I'm not going to dive into all the actors in this film, but I do want to talk about uh, Robert Wall, who I already discussed, who played Bob. So Robert Wall was a karate expert who opened up the Sherman Oaks Karate Studio in Sherman Oaks, California in 1968, which kind of led to the rise of popularity of martial arts, especially in movies because a lot of actors were going to his studio. Uh, Bruce Lee also taught out of there as well. And that's where they like uh, trained Jaden's Coburn, who used karate uh, extensively in the Arman Flint series. He was also in the, uh, was it, there was a blind, no, I'm thinking of someone else, never mind. Okay. Um, and, um, Robert Wall also appeared in three movies with Jackie, sorry, Bruce Lee, including Way of the Dragon, Enter the Dragon, and Game of Death. Now, Robert Wall also famously, um, a feud with Steven Seagal. <laughs> I think that's not uncommon. So between 1988 and 1992, there was a series of challenges between the two. It started when Seagal made disparaging comments about Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, and other American martial artists in interviews, culminating in two articles in the Black Belt magazine where he claimed that he would fight to the death anybody who believed that Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris could defeat him. Now, I'm not a fan of Chuck Norris's politics, but I'm sure even now he could have defeated Steven Seagal back in 1992 at 81 years old. Um, uh, indignant at Seagal's slights of the Lee and American martial artists, as well as by his boasts, Wall gathered a group of martial artists willing to answer the challenge to a fight to the death with Steven Seagal. They nicknamed themselves the Dirty Dozen in a reference to the film The Dirty Dozen, and this group included Benny Year. Uh, Erguiz, Bill Wallace, Howard Jackson, Roger Carpenter, Alan Steen, Jim Harrison, Dennis Alexio, Richard Norton, Billy Robertson, Pat Burleson, and William Blinky Rodriguez, with Gene LaBelle, a famous judo champion, and Gerald Fino as a potential members, and Karen Turner as a possible promoter for one or more matches. So these people were controversial in the martial arts community, with some deriding them as an overreaction and a promotion of violence. LaBelle later revealed the affair was hurting him professionally and forced him to withdraw, while Urquez and Burleson became reportedly unhappy with the group's concept. However, several other members claimed to be content with the campaign alone, with Rodriguez declaring, just by not accepting the challenge, Seagal has told us where he is at. By the way, I was thinking of the movie called Blind Fury, but that stars... Rutger Rutger Hauer, yes. Not uh, James Coburn. And Terry O'Quinn. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like nearly all of Hong Kong films of the era, it was filmed without sound. Bruce Lee dubbed most of, almost all of the English-speaking characters. 
in this film, including one line for the boss. Uh, that line is, take, take him out, but be careful with a, that gun in public. According to the assistant director, Chao Sung Ma, Mao, uh, filming around the Coliseum was strictly forbidden, and the few scenes actually filmed there were quickly shot without the knowledge of the Roman authorities. Guerrilla style. Yeah. Most of the crew did not have international passports or working visas, which meant they could only work in Rome for a maximum of three weeks. Bruce Lee and the crew made sure they got all of their required footage within just two weeks. Uh, Bruce Lee made several, several firsts in the Hong Kong movie industry while making this film. Uh, it was the first Chinese film to be made in the West, and he was the first Hong Kong director to view daily rushes in color. He insisted on doing this so he could ensure exact color matching and editing due to combining the location shots in Rome with the studio footage and, at Golden Harvest Studios. He also refused to use the standard canned music and commissioned a new score, although we'll talk, get to it later. There is some music from some other movies in this. Oh. This is the only Bruce Lee film where he uses two nunchucks during a fight, and in the final fight between Tang Long and Colt, Tang is using the traditional kung fu approach but nearly loses the fight. However, when Tang begins to use the approach of Jeet Kune Do, Tang gets the upper hand. I like this as a little bit of an infomercial for his preferred kung fu style. Oh. His preferred martial arts style, I should say. Oh, totally. Um, so part of the music in this film was actually originally from... Ennio Morricone's score from Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West. The music used when Chuck Norris enters a scene is taken from that film's track as a juggernaut, a.k.a. the Grand Massacre. So you hear a little a little tinge of it. Not enough to like really be like, hey, that's the song from that movie, but just enough to be like, I know this song, and that means business. Jesus Christ. Sorry, it's the honking. I don't know if, yeah. the, again, I don't know if the mics are picking it up. Uh, not mu- very it much. It's incessant. Yep. So additionally, an excerpt of a track from John Barry's score for the James Bond film, Diamonds Are Forever, Death at the White House, was used in the scene where Uncle uh, Wang uh, showing is, shows his true colors and wickedly stabs Tony and Jimmy in their backs with a knife. So John Barry, of course, will go on to do the score for Enter the Dragon and Game of Death. Uh, so that kind of creates a nice little tie-in together. So that's everything uh, I have to say about Way of the Dragon. Phil! What are your final thoughts on Way of the Dragon? This movie was a blast. This is just a breath of fresh air after uh, watching those uh, dreadful Bruceploitation movies. Yeah. It's a slow burn, but it's a never dull. Uh, the, as I said before, like the fight choreography is fantastic. Wonderfully edited. The whole movie's really good looking. Um, Bruce Lee is surprisingly good as a comic comedic actor. Mm-hmm. And that's basically it. Cool. All right, kid. What are your final thoughts on Way of the Dragon? Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of uh, with uh, Phil's thinking on here, but uh, yeah, you just can't. You just can't. You can't replicate the real deal. You can't. Uh, you can't replace the the genuine article. Bruce Lee is where it's at. These Bruce exploitation films were are a poor. Poor reflection of uh, what our man can do. Oddly enough, this is, uh, folks, listening, listeners, this is my first Bruce Lee film. I never wow. saw Enter the Dragon. I, I want to see it. I just mm-hmm. uh, haven't had a chance. Uh, I've never seen any other Bruce Lee film. So uh, this is this is good news. I remember seeing bits of um, that's, that stupid mid-90s 
cash-in movie. What was that one called? Dragon. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was just kind of garbage. It's not very good, no. Um, so, so yeah, this is my introduction to Bruce Lee uh, filmography, uh, basically, and uh, it was it was a blast. It was a, it was a fun time. I'd still argue Enter the Dragon is his best film, but this is quite I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I've only seen that in Enter the Dragon. I haven't seen his other three movies, I guess. Big Boss uh, and Fist of Fury. And I guess you don't count Game of Death. I do. Sure, okay, why so not? I guess it's like his five movies. There, there's also two different versions of Game of Death. There okay. is a version where they actually just use the footage that he shot, yeah. and then there's the version that was widely distributed, which is basically only has like the, the eight minutes of him fighting Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah. And those eight minutes are spectacular. Yeah, like Enter the Dragon. It's surprisingly uh, plot. It was surprisingly plot heavy. I had only seen it for the first time a few years back. Yeah, I mean, it had to be. I mean, it was it was the first uh, North American produced kung fu movie, and it featured. Well, I mean, was Bill, when was Billy Jack? I think Billy Jack might have been before then. I guess Billy Jack would have been like seventy one or seventy two. Let me double check here. But yeah, like it riffs on Bond big time. And is, is by the way, is Green Hornet worth checking out? Like going back and. The series? Yeah. It's fun. I've um, never watched Green Hornet. Uh, if I can find some on YouTube, yeah. you know, for example. Yeah, it's a fun series. Although, interestingly, the character of the Green Hornet, most people think it was created for that TV series. It actually had existed for, I think, like 30 or 40 years beforehand. He was a, it was a radio serial. And funnily enough, the Green Hornet, the character, is meant to be the direct descendant of the Lone Ranger. So, like how the Lone Me? Ranger had Tonto, the Green Hornet has Kato. Yeah. Inspiration for the namesake of Kato Kalin. Yeah, Aha. Billy Jack was 1971, so it's it's not so. Uh, but uh, I think Billy Jack was Hapkido. I think that was uh, Tom Lachlan's uh, martial arts style. But anyways, um, still Enter the Dragon, great film. Way of the Dragon. My final thoughts: It's fun. It's good. It's 90 minutes. I I love that about it. And uh, I'm super stoked that we got to watch it on the podcast. I'm super stoked. This is my first time watching it. Uh, I like as much as I've seen a lot of cinema. The the, I've seen way more Jackie Chan films than I've seen Bruce Lee. Um, I've only seen Game of Death, Enter the Dragon, and this film. So, I mean, there's still the big boss in Fist of Fury, a.k.a. the Chinese connection. Um, but, yeah, so I think we're all signing off on this one. This was a great selection by me, so thanks, me. <laughs> Way to go, Graham. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to be back uh, with another episode soon. Also, yes? oh, sorry, just a belated, belated RIP to uh, Ned Beatty. Who we forgot to mention. Oh, yeah. He passed away. Yeah. Uh, venerable character actor. Yep. Star of uh, Albert Pune's Captain America. That's correct. Friend. He's yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah. And also Deliverance, of course. Deliverance. And Superman the movie. And Mikey Superman 2. Um, but yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Ned Beatty. R.I.P. William Smith. Uh, so we're going to be back with our next episode, which is going to be on Johnny Mnemonic. Hell Yeah. I clearly didn't pick this one. All right. Uh, I have not seen this since uh, it came out on video. yeah. So uh, I don't know what to expect, but. All right. So for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I have been Kit. And I'm being Graham Singh. <laughs> uh, keep watching amazing movies. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Good night. <laughs>